Hey everybody, we've got an awesome episode today with Amberly Romo, a member of the Gatsby team. So we're going to talk about Gatsby and why it's awesome and why it's awesome for beginners. Uh, we also talk about uh, the importance of conference talks and a little bit about diversity in tech and juniors in tech. As always, if you like the show and want to support us, jump on iTunes and leave us a review or like and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. All right, everybody. It's time to get on with the show. Welcome to Tech Junior. Uh, my name is Lee Wark Jr., a full stack JavaScript developer. I have with me Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie, uh, full stack JavaScript. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and we have um, a special guest. We have Amberly Romo. Amberly, if you could introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi, y'all. I'm. Amberly Romo, and I'm a front-end developer, and I work on the Gatsby team. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, agreeing to talk about your story as a developer and about Gatsby and, and all that good stuff. Um, so getting started, um, I think the the main thing that I, I really want to touch on is how did you get into being a or becoming a developer and, and especially working on Gatsby? Yeah, it's a, it's a very weird, windy uh, road. Um, I started off building static sites, just pure HTML, CSS, whatever, like over 10 years ago. Um, and then I worked at a nonprofit where I did marketing, branding, print design, uh, online graphics, stuff like that. And I was building a lot, a lot of websites for fun. And I was like, man, I really wish I could do this like for my job. So a position opened up at that nonprofit to work in the web area. It was like a very small team, like a two-person team. Um, and I went for that. And I started maintaining WordPress sites and building static sites. And you ever heard of Blackbaud? No, no. <laughs> that's a new one to me. This uh, It's primarily oriented toward nonprofits, I think. Um, building sites in Blackbaud net community. Um, and then, you know, it was me and one other person. And I was like, you know, I really, I don't know what this whole wider ecosystem of web development looks like. I feel pretty isolated. So I want to reach outside of that. And I ended up talking to this agency. At the time, I lived in D.C., talking to this agency, applying for front-end developer positions. And they were like, man, you have branding experience, marketing experience, experience dealing with clients, you know, like all this other stuff. You would make a really good... Um, technical project manager because you know you've also built websites and you know you know uh stuff about that so you'd be great at this and I was like okay that sounds great um and you know I was doing a lot of the business development client management sort of all of that stuff and I I wasn't getting to actually learn any more web stuff uh so I was like yeah that's not really what I want to do and then that was when I went to the boot camp uh, in late 2015, I moved to Austin to sort of make a clean break. Uh, and at the time, it was called Maker Square. I went to Maker Square, which is now called Hack Reactor, which okay. is now a program of Galvanize. Okay. It's <laughs> a little confusing, called... but yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still called Hack Reactor. Um, and that was great because. I just got to focus on intensively learning 
for three months and intensive learning is like one of my favorite things to do. Um, I learned Chinese really intensively uh, in college. So I knew that that style of learning like really appealed to me. Um, and then afterwards I stayed on at Hack Reactor as a, a fellow, kind of like a TA. Okay. Uh, and then I got my first primarily, I guess you'd call it like JavaScript, JavaScript dev job working for a startup on a React web app. So awesome. That's how um, it happened. So you, you kind of made it sound really easy, but I have to imagine <laughs> that it, it really wasn't that clear of a path maybe at the time. Um, oh, it was what made absolutely you... not a clear path. No, yeah, I did not well, <laughs> mean to give that impression. So did, um, did you decide to go to a boot camp and then you're like, oh, it's in Texas. I'll just move out there. Or like, how did you find out about the boot camp? Because they're, you know, I, this was what, a couple of years ago, three, four years ago, something like that. Yeah, this is end of 2015, beginning of 2016. So I think boot camps were relatively new at the time. So I think they were kind of like they were they were in the point where they were gaining steam. Like it was the toward it was toward the end of it being like a new thing, you know. So were you like, oh, a boot camp? Like, yeah, why not? And then just signed up, or did you have hesitations? Mm. Or no, I, I yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of money, you know. So you do your research and vet it, and like you know, it's still a developing sort of educational style. So there's, there was a leap of faith involved. Um, but at the end of the day, I'd been building for the web for a long time, uh, and trying to sort of like break in as, as a developer. Uh, so I knew it was something that I could do. So if I went and it ended up not being what I wanted, I could still keep working toward it, you know, but, right. um, but I think the reason that I sought it out was because I had a friend in college who I actually studied abroad in China with who ended up doing like a 180 and did dev boot camp, which is kind of like one of the like the original boot camp or one of the one of the original boot camps. And so I knew he had done that. Um, and I had constantly hit this wall of like, am I a developer? Am I a developer? Am I technical enough? Am I a developer yet? And so finally I was like, I'm done with this. I'm going to focus on it really intensively and I'm going to make a clean pivot into just like hard doing this full time as my job. Um, so. So it sounds like <clears throat> you already had pretty much, uh, it sounded like some extensive experience with HTML and CSS. Had you dipped your toes in JavaScript at that point or had you not touched that yet? Uh, very limited, I would say, in the sense of like, mm, porting in some like JavaScript libraries. Like there was this, uh, I used this masonry JavaScript uh, library in my site once and it's just like, copied it over and like figured out how to make it work. But like, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was doing. I just figured out how to like get it where it needed to be to work. So very limited, just sort of messing around. Cool. But uh, it sounds like the boot camp went well and you picked up JavaScript and I'm assuming they touched on React while you were in there. Yeah. So I think this is like right at the very beginning of when mm -hmm. React was really picking up because 
at the time they didn't have anything like officially on React, uh, but it was still what everybody chose to build their final project in because there was a lot of sort of industry excitement around React at the time, like going up. So shortly after that, I think they made it a more formalized part of the curriculum, uh, but it wasn't actually part of the program. Oh, really? Mm-mm. So you picked up uh, React kind of on your own while you were doing what your final project for the the boot camp? Pretty much, yeah. Awesome, that's cool. Uh, I don't think I could have done that because yeah. <laughs> learning React um, <laughs> recently, at least, uh, was a, a huge um, learning curve. It, it wasn't easy at all. What was uh, the biggest learning help? curve? Man, you know, um, so Eddie and I did a boot camp um, here in Florida. Oh, which and one? And it was. Uh, the UCF coding bootcamp. Mm. So um, I liked it. Um, I think so did I both had a good experience with it. Yeah. But uh, what they do is they teach you HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And then right after that, they pivot into jQuery. And so you get this whole um, experience of kind of like the history of web development almost, where you start with just HTML and CSS, you start adding in a little JavaScript, and then boom, you start doing like Ajax calls and re-rendering and stuff with jQuery, kind of sort of building like a single page app. But obviously it's, you know, jQuery and spaghetti code all over the place. And then you jump into Node, you learn like handlebars and server-side rendering. And then from there, it's a hard right turn into React. So you, as soon as you wrap your head around like building a server and talking to the server and the server responds with a built HTML page, now you have this huge convention shift where you have to send back only JSON data to the front end. And then the front end has to do all of its own re-rendering. It has its own routing, um, its own error states and all that. And so picking all of that up in like the last two weeks of the bootcamp was really difficult, I think, for a lot of people. So um, you talk about learning like React all on your own. It sounds like a huge feat to me um, because learning it you know, in, in the class was very difficult, even with them, you know, showing us certain parts of it in the curriculum. Yeah. That's really interesting because uh, I feel like the hardest part for me learning React at the time was, you know, there are all of these, at the time, Create React app didn't exist. And so there were all these other sort of projects that had their own opinions about how you get a React project set up. Um, But if you wanted to like, at the time I thought to really learn it, I had to set up everything myself. And so to me, the the hardest part was like getting to the React part, (laughs) you (laughs) know, like I found the, the environment set up and everything really, really frustrating. Uh, And so that's something that I, think is really cool about tools now, uh, whether it's Gatsby or React Static or, uh, you know, over in the, over in Viewland, Viewpress or, you know, whatever it is, I think that's something really cool that's happened now is that there's a lot of these choices where you can just opt into whatever it is and just start writing, just start writing React and experiment and learn. Um, so I think that part's a lot better now. Oh, um, for sure. hundred yeah. um, percent. I would say the only challenge with like create react app uh, was distinguishing like is create react app react 
or mm-hmm. like what, it, and it takes a little bit to learn like, oh no, it's actually a build tool that's, or, or actually ah. like a scaffolding tool that's, you know, setting up Webpack and Babel and stuff for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that wasn't apparent at the time. So, I mean, it, it kind of comes with its own challenges, I guess, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure it doesn't even hold a candle to like setting up your own Webpack environment back in the day, especially with well, earlier versions of Webpack. Well, I certainly can't tell you anything about it now. It was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you said you got your first job as like a React developer at a startup. Um, what was that like? What, were there a lot of interviews or applications or did you just kind of roll up in there and you're like, hey, I know React and they're like, great, you're hired or? That was actually really funny because I'm a huge believer in, you know, things happening through meeting people and having genuine connections with people. And I went to a ton of meetups while I was in the boot camp and while I was a TA. Um, just like building connections and seeing what would sort of come out of it. And the really funny thing is the way it ended up happening was I was like, oh, you know, cold applications never work. But the last week of the boot camp was uh, like career week. So it's, you know, getting resumes set up and everybody starts sending out applications and whatnot. I was like, okay, I'm going to send out some cold applications. <laughs> and <laughs> the very first posting that I responded to ended up being where I worked. <laughs> wow. Cool. What are the odds of that? And it was in the same building. Like the office oh, is in really? the same building as the boot camp. So the whole thing ended up being you? kind of funny. Had you met uh, them before? No. Wow. No. How, uh, so serendipitous, maybe. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, Got it in one. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, you know, went through the whole interview process, a uh, cu- couple of different chats, and like a whiteboard and all that fun stuff, and it just ended up being the right thing. So was the uh, interview process tough or was it fair or what do you remember from that? You know, I think it was fair. Uh, I think I blacked out during like the whiteboard part. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't really remember a lot of that. Uh, But, you know, I I know that I walked out afterwards and I was just like, oh, man, I have no idea what I said. I hope I said relevant things. (laughs) Yikes. Um. But I, that, that interview process in particular, I I think was awesome. They didn't have too many early career devs at the time. It was a small team, but they didn't really have any, anyone early career. So it was kind of a new, new thing for them. The team lead, the front end team lead, uh, really wanted to bring on some, some junior devs. So I don't know. They, they were interested in mentoring they were they knew they were going to meet me where i was at that experience level they also knew i had a ton of pre-existing experience with html css and building building for the web already um and then intensively essentially intensively learning javascript for 3 months of the boot camp so it just ended up working out awesome cool so um i guess from there somehow you ended up uh, on the gatsby team how did uh how did that come to happen? That's also a windy story. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of those like meant to be stories. So 
in late 2017, um, I had been hearing a lot of like buzz about Gatsby. Uh, and it was just a word that I kept hearing. Finally, one night I sat down and I was like, what the heck is Gatsby? Like, I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> I'm going to experiment with this tonight. Um, and at the time, like no knock on WordPress or anything, but I had had a WordPress blog for like ever. And I was just kind of bored of it. So I was like, yeah, you know what? What the heck? I'm going to experiment with Gatsby and I'm going to like build out a blog and see what this whole thing is about. And so I did that sourcing from WordPress as my data source. Um, and the documentation back then was still pretty early. Like it was rougher than it is now. Uh, so for example, there wasn't a doc on like the Gatsby config. <laughs> so yikes! Uh, doing that, you know, I was spelunking through a lot of like the core code and just sort of diving in and figuring it out. And after I, after I finished building that blog, uh, I wrote a tutorial on how I had done it, like building a blog sor uh, sourcing from WordPress specifically. Um, and then I went on the Gatsby blog and I saw that there were, Shannon had written one, one post, but other than the post that Shannon had written, there were no contributions from female writers. So hmm. I reached out to them directly and I was like, I wrote this thing and I really enjoyed playing with Gatsby and you don't have a WordPress tutorial or any WordPress content or anything. So I was wondering if you want to cross post this and Shannon res responded. She was like, yeah, we've already, we saw yesterday. Uh, we thought it was really, really awesome. We would love for you to cross post it. So I PR'd that. Um, and I went ahead and wrote the Gatsby config docs because those didn't exist. Uh, and after, shortly after that, Shannon hooked me up with Kyle and Sam, the Gatsby co-founders. And they were like, we just want to chat. I was like, okay, that's interesting. I have no idea what to expect, but let's chat. Um, and we got on, got on the video call and they asked me about, you know, my background and my experience. And then they were like, so uh, do you want a contract with us for technical writing? <laughs> <laughs> and and I was like, uh, you're an open source project, right? Like, where are you getting the budget that you want to contract with me for technical writing? I don't understand. And this is like four or five months before they announced the formation of the company and the seed funding and all of that. So it's kind of funny. But uh, then I contracted with them ad hoc for basically like half a year. Uh, mostly re rewriting parts of the official tutorial with Shannon. Uh, and then about mid-2018, uh, just took it from part-time ad hoc to full-time. And wow. the rest is history. It's a cool story. So you, you, you got your start just doing like uh, tutorials and documentation, it sounds like, and then that slowly became like a full-time position there, right? Yeah, pretty much. So you were working at maybe that previous startup job while you were um, doing some of that tutorial stuff? Yeah, because I was just, I, I love writing. Like I, I was always like a quote unquote English person. Um, okay. I was not, I was not a math person in school. Mm -hmm. um, so writing was always kind of my thing. 
so I, I really enjoy taking technical concepts and boiling them down and uh, making them as understandable as I can in written form. So it's it's it was pretty much like getting contract pay for a hobby. <laughs> um, the best of both because, worlds, right? Yeah, because I just genuinely enjoy it. So what um what are you doing now at Gatsby? So I am all over the place. For a while this year, I was on our uh, temporarily on our cloud team, uh, helping build out the front end of our first commercial product uh, preview, which. I don't know when this is when y'all are going to put this up, but by the time this is up, uh, <laughs> preview will be an open beta, so that's exciting. Cool. Um, but I'm now back in the learning DevRel sort of area, uh, working on a lot of the learning workflows and documentation and um, stuff like that. Yeah, but that's that's really an awesome place to be, isn't it? Like as a, it, it's kind of, at least from what it sounds like your job to take the, um, I guess the process and kind of experience of how to build out a site and just kind of like boil it down to the basics and try and make it as understandable as possible. Right. Yeah. Like confusion absolutely. is the enemy. Yeah. And sort of trying to plug the holes of wherever it seems like people are, are getting lost or sort of going off to the side, you know. Do you have any um any stories of like absolute awful documentation that kind of like stand out in your mind? No. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll like tell other... you mine. Mine is um Sequelize. Are ah. you familiar? So, okay. it's a ORM for um SQL databases for Node.js and it's like really a good ORM and good software. But uh, the documentation for it is like just all over the place. Like you'll get mm -hmm. a tutorial where it's like the API reference is built out fine. But if you go on the site and you start looking up like, how do I do like, how do I relate tables, for instance, it'll have like one line of code, like somewhere buried in a, you know, a super long page where you're like six mouse scrolls down. And it's like, oh, relate two tables, like one to one and then one line of code or something. That's like great, but where does that go? Like <laughs> when I'm setting up this project, you know. I remember so, yeah. that just finding tutorials for while we're in the bootcamp for that was hard as well. Just finding any kind of extra help outside of documentation. Yeah, absolutely. Like SQLize, at least you know in our area, is kind of notorious for just having bad documentation. <laughs> and not for any like, you know, the, it's not like the programmers are bad or anything. It's just like no hero has come along and just like taken one for the team and written that awesome tutorial for everybody to learn from. So, yeah. And then on top of that, like it's not just brand new developers reading that it's everybody reading it, right? Like anybody that's new mm -hmm. to that code base comes on and they're like, Oh, SQLize, cool. Um, and I think like Netflix used it for a while. So it's not like it was some obscure thing, but you know, developers come along and they look at the, the um, tutorials or the documentation and they are trying to learn it just like anybody else. And it doesn't matter, you know, how many years they've been doing it. You know, I'm not, I'm sure not everybody like downloads the source code and just starts reading that directly. So everybody is interfacing with the documentation at some point. So it, it's really amazing to hear like 
Gatsby has, you know, put all this effort and time into having somebody like dedicated to that job. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of my favorite things about the team actually is that um, really they look at the documentation as a, a standalone first class product. I think a lot of times documentation is looked at sort of secondarily uh, right. and that's definitely not the case with Gatsby. Uh, so I, I do think we get lots of really great feedback uh, on our documentation and I think it's it's because we have this this sort of first class approach to it. And I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not going to say a project because I don't want to rag on other other projects. But um, with Gatsby, I think it's two things. It's thinking of documentation as sort of a first class concern, and then also this focus that we have on making the community feel welcome to contribute. So someone who's reading uh, incomplete documentation or struggling to figure something out and they do look at the the source code or they do figure out what they need or whatever, nine times out of 10, they're going to take that answer and they're just going to move on with their lives, right? Like the, oh, okay, now it works. That's how you do it. And then they've answered their questions, so they leave the rest alone, right? We try to foster this community of like, well, if you had to track that down and that wasn't clear in the documentation, then you you have something to offer to make it clearer for the next person who walks your path, you know? So I think my guess would be more people uh, who interface with projects like, like Gatsby that have a really, really open uh, and encouraging and welcoming community. I think they're more likely to contribute back or to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm a beginner but this is still really valuable. Cause I think sometimes people think like, Oh, you know, I'm early career or I'm a beginner and I don't get it. So someone more experienced is probably looking at this and they get it immediately. And I just don't know what I'm talking about. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, the first thing that springs to my mind when you say that is, have you ever searched something on stack overflow where they ask the exact question that you're looking for? And then the comment below that is the same person. They go, got it. it Thanks. And they don't post the solution. Yeah, I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's typically, uh, I think that's, that's like the, the use case you're talking about where somebody jumps on there and they like figure something out and they just move on with their lives. And it's amazing that the Gatsby is like, what they send out like stickers and t-shirts and stuff for like PRs or, or something of that effect. Yeah. Free, uh, free swag. Thank you swag for contributors. That's cool. Yeah, that, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I had a, an experience with um, uh, Gridsome, which is uh, another yeah. static site generator site where um, I was reading through their documentation and checking out like how to deploy it. And I deploy a lot of stuff to GitHub pages. And so I noticed like, hey, they have GitLab, they have Netlify, they have like Heroku, all these different um, entries in the tutorial for how to deploy something. And I was like, well, how come there's no GitHub pages? So I had just like read through the docs, jumped on their um, their repository, and it was like generated from Markdown. So I was like, "Oh, piece of cake! I can do this." Yeah. So you know, put a PR in to document how to deploy to GitHub Pages, and so that was like my first open source contribution. Um, that was your very first. The very first one, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's awesome. It's cool. So 
you know, you constantly hear people that are like, oh, you know, go write documentation, go write documentation. You're like, man, I'm dumb. I'm brand new. How am I, how am I going to write documentation for something? Right. But uh, if you actually like sit down and, and give it an honest go, you know, it's, it's not that bad at the end of the day. Yeah. I think it's really just a, a mindset switch for sure. Yeah. And it sounds like um, the, the Gatsby team has kind of tried to grease that process as much as possible and, and to build that community out, which is really cool. Yeah. 100%. We've, uh, we've talked a whole lot about Gatsby, um, but we haven't even like talked about Jamstack. So um, you have like an awesome talk on it. So uh, would you do us a favor and and just explain to uh, the audience like what Jamstack is? Yeah. So uh, the Jamstack is, I can never say his name, but it was coined by the guy who started Netlify, Matthias Spillman. Um, But it's a web development architecture based on JavaScript, APIs, and markup. So that's the J, the A, and the M uh, in the jam stack. And if you hit a Jamstack site, uh, you'll be served, uh, pre-built assets, which is different from a more traditionally server rendered CMS driven site. Uh, and that works more by building each page on demand, fetching content from a database and running it through a template engine, uh, generating and returning markup to render, uh, on the page. So you have to to make these extra trips and maintain the server and a Jamstack site. You don't have to deal with that. Okay. Um, would you consider, I guess, like create react app or a a traditional SBA to be like a Jamstack application? If it was, I guess, living on its own and interfacing with APIs. That's a good question. I don't think, I don't think so. Um, because again, you're not, you're not generating that pre-built static markup. Okay. Which, and maybe it's I'm just wrong. kind of like a, it's kind of like a mushy, like nebulous kind of thing. It's a absolutely bit. mushy. Yeah. And um, <laughs> not trying to like to stump you by any means, but like for my own sake, like it's kind of hard to wrap my head around what the heck Jamstack is, you know? Um, yeah. Th- there's a lot of like buzz out there around it, but not, I guess, a clear, understand like you say javascript api markup but like what what does that mean you know what i mean yeah i absolutely do yeah so um i get that like gatsby is part of that jamstack ecosystem and like certainly i guess um like serverless functions i guess and uh freestanding apis and, and that sort of thing right um so how does um how does gatsby fit into that probably people have heard it's a static site generator but like what does it do and how is it different from like, you know, a standard React app? Hmm. Well, yeah, I think people used to call it more of a static site generator. It does generate static assets, but it's not just a static site generator. Um, Tanner Lindsley of the React static project um, sort of started this term of like a static progressive site. I've heard, uh, I was listening to a podcast on the way home today. Uh, West Boss kind of described it the same way. Okay. Described yeah. static progressive? Yeah, the, the, the same way you just did. Uh, yeah, so it's this idea that, you know, it's not, 
something like Jekyll will, which is a static site generator, will just generate a static site. Right. Something like Gatsby will generate a static site, but it's also creating a React app. Like after after a Gatsby site loads static when a user requests it, a React runtime loads. And you can do anything with React at that point. Okay. So it kind of um it sounds like it kind of takes the best of both worlds. You get like the speed of, you know, just static pages, but then you also get the power of like React itself. Right. Cool. Um, yeah, Gatsby is like another one of those things that is really tough to kind of wrap your head around because like you said, they call it static site generator, but then what does that mean? Right. (laughs) It's, it's not easy. I mean, we as a team have had many, many, many long conversations about what we call it and how we message it. And because it was, we called it a static site generator on the site originally. Um, that was how they started talking about it. And it did, it just, it didn't adequately capture that, but there's not really a class of thing that it fits into. Like it's kind of, it's part of a wave of a new type of thinking. Uh, So there's not really anything existing to go off of. You're having to sort of define it yourself. And yeah, that has not been straightforward. It's a challenge. Right. So, um, and then like, of course, there's other React frameworks like Next.js that kind of muddy the waters further. Um, So like that's a actual server rendered uh, site where the server is running all the time and it builds like the first page out. And then from there on, you're kind of running a React app. Whereas it sounds like Gatsby, the first hit is like as much pre-rendered stuff as possible. And then from there, it's it's a, a React application. Is that correct? Yeah, it's as much static uh, rendered as possible and then rehydrated into, into a React app. Yeah, so it sounds like um, there's kind of a lot of performance stuff that Gatsby is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like the static site uh, aspect of it is is heavily influenced by like how much performance can we squeeze out of it. But um, mm-hmm. it also has like some other built-in optimizations, right? Yeah, perform- performance is the big one uh, for sure. But any of that that captures captures a lot of it. But are you are you going after something in particular? So I know like um, an easy one that I could think of would be like the images. Um, doesn't mm-hmm. it have like optimizations where it will give you like a blurred version of the image and then like as the image is loading, like okay, it'll yeah. replace it with the actual image. Yeah, so I consider that part of performance. So I I wasn't sure if you were going going after something else, but yeah. No, I, th- I think we're both on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a definitely a primary selling point for Gatsby is it's 100% engineered to optimize for performance under the hood. So taking away a lot of the stuff that you would have to re-engineer figure out yourself like route-based code splitting and code optimization and caching and like you said the uh progressive image loading um other little things like the gatsby link component uh 
handles prefetching, stuff like that. So you just get a lot of stuff built in that you don't have to think about or re-engineer. Yeah, I watched um, a talk that uh, you were giving on um, some performance aspects of Gatsby in it. It does some cool stuff like tracks your mouse position when you're near like a, a link and then starts to preload assets and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So if you have a, an internal link in the viewport, it will start prefetching at a super low priority. But if you actually hover over the link, uh, it will fetch it at a higher priority. So by the time, if you hover over the about page, you're already pulling those assets before you click it. Um, so by the time you click it, it's already on its way to loading or fully loaded. So it just routes. That's awesome. really cool. So, yeah. So um, this isn't really meant to be like a, hey, what are all like the really technical aspects of Gatsby? <laughs> um, I was excited to have you on the show because like Gatsby is doing all this cool stuff where you get all of the benefit of all this hard work that the Gatsby team is doing for optimizations, but you also get like an amazing developer experience because there's really good documentation. Um, they have like AMAs and stuff that uh, you can jump on and do like paired programming or, or some such. And then, mm -hmm. um, you know, you get the performance optimizations. There's like accessibility that's built into it, uh, as I understand. So it, it's really, it seems like, something that's very welcoming to new developers or junior developers. So um, can you maybe talk about like some of the things that you guys have done to make it easy for new people to get onboarded to making Gatsby sites? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Where do I start? Um, <laughs> well, my very first favorite thing, well, number one, I, I think it's huge and very important that the, the whole team is really personally invested in that as a mission, like we all really take it sort of deeply personally to make it as uh, welcoming in general, not just sort of the community being welcoming, but you're sort of onboarding to learning how to use it. Um, but man, I can't, yeah, I get, I get really excited about that. So it makes me like lose, lose my train of thought, uh, but yeah. <laughs> There's uh, there's all, all sorts of stuff from from actually onboarding and using Gatsby to build something to actually contributing back and like making a PR to Gatsby. So for getting started, uh, one of my favorite things uh, is the Gatsby tutorial. When I first approached the tutorial, I noticed that it made a lot of assumptions about um, environment or that like it assumes you know how to npm install something or you know what node is or you know, any of that, but someone coming from the WordPress ecosystem who's been working with PHP or whatever, maybe they, maybe they've never used node, maybe they've never used NPM, maybe they've never used react. Um, sort of one of my very first things that was important to me was rewriting that very beginning entry point of the tutorial so that if you didn't know what node was, we told you, if you didn't know how to install it, we told you. If you didn't know what NPM was, we told you. Just like, what are those bumper rails in bowling called? I think they're oh, called bumpers. Yeah, I think you nailed they're it. just bumpers. <laughs> bumpers? <laughs> yeah. S sort of just like trying to add put bumpers on that process, right? So if, if someone hits a certain point of frustration, 
they're going to bounce and they're, they're never going to come back. Right. And I just like made it my personal mission to avoid someone just falling off the edge and not coming back. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the core team offers pair programming sessions. So there's a, there's a page on the site uh, where people can sign up for that and they can talk about um, getting started with Gatsby or getting started contributing like the uh, team member and then pick, they could pick on an issue, pick up an issue to talk about and start working on um, anything like that. Um, that. That's awesome. Yeah. That is. Yeah. So um, I think that this is like not only great for uh, junior developers that are just like looking for a way to get into like contributing to open source or learning like the latest and greatest react framework um, or static site generator or whatever. But I think it's like really important to our like overall technical industry as a whole where like more organizations should adopt this mindset. Um, and it, it's because, you know, like you said, maybe you have experience building websites, you've been doing PHP, you've been doing WordPress, you might be considered even like an intermediate or senior developer, but if you've never touched like React and you come on to Gatsby's site, like you're junior to Gatsby, right? You're brand new. So, yeah. you know, why do we make all these assumptions and like make documentation obtuse or hard to get into? Yeah. Like we should be writing really, really good documentation and welcoming, you know, anybody that's interested in the project, right? Absolutely. I, I had also read um, on your blog a junior developer post that you had written. Yeah. And I, I really, really love that post. So um, can you maybe uh, talk about like why that's important to you and, and kind of like how that topic resonates with you? Obviously, like Eddie and I are super in tune with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, oh, man, I, that that blog post was born out of just like a Slack diatribe that I went on. I think diatribe actually has a negative connotation. It wasn't really it. A little. There bit. was no, there was no negative connotation. But it was one of those things where, so a, a friend, a very senior engineer, um, DM'd me and was like, and he's a friend of mine, asked if I could explain the rise in this like industry wide push that he'd seen pushing to like hire early career or junior developers. Um, just because he did he didn't really understand why that sort of cultural shift was happening. Um and yeah, I just went I just went on a tear responding to him about it. Um <laughs> and yeah, so in the industry context, there there are a number of factors driving it. There's the high demand for senior talent and not enough not enough supply. We all know that. Um, there's a saturation of junior talent right now because the market is overcorrecting with like, or maybe not overcorrecting, maybe that's not the right word, but boot camps and other organizations saw the gap in that talent pool and started going after it, which makes sense, right? But then you have a bunch of senior positions open and a bunch of junior developers and like there's a mismatch, right? So... I forget someone did made someone made there was this great tweet about like where do you think senior developers come from? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
you know, <laughs> but so they don't just like pop up out of nowhere. We have to nurture new talent like any, any other industry needs new blood, new talent to, to thrive. Right. Um, and the part of that post that, that I really think is important that I was getting to is I really don't think there's a way to disentangle the push to diversify the industry with the push to hire early career developers. Um, so why, why would you want to disentangle that? Like I, that doesn't even, that's like a, a weird, I guess, notion like, uh, so Eddie and I are in Florida. It's like a very diverse area. Um, I've seen like on Twitter, there's like amazing, amazing developers that are, you know, they're minorities or women. They come from like really, yeah. really colorful backgrounds. They're not like your typical Mark Zuckerberg type developer. Right. So why, why would somebody want to disentangle like a push for diversity with a push for junior developers? I mean, is that something that you've come across in the industry so far? Well, I, yeah. Or just in the All community, the, maybe? Those conversations on Twitter can get really fun to read, but <laughs> <laughs> um, you get into the territory, and I don't want to amplify like more negative conversations, but the type of thing where it's like, oh, we should hire X person because they're a woman or because they're, you know, a, a lot, there, a lot of people push back on that. Um, so you think there's, um, like maybe those people are getting like extra points or something for being more diverse or, or some, like they're trying to hire them for the wrong reasons, basically. Uh, no, I think people just fight the notion of it's such a, it's such a complicated topic. Um, I just can't figure out the right way to phrase it right now. I think it's, um, it's definitely, a, uh, it, it's not an easy conversation for sure. And, uh, even I struggle with it, like reading Twitter, I see a lot of like women developers, especially like the past week or so, just like posting screenshots of stuff from like what they get in LinkedIn and, uh, yeah. messages on Twitter and stuff. And it's like, you know, it's the, <laughs> the scum of the earth kind of like, posts that are like flooding their inboxes and um you know a certain amount of that i guess comes with the internet but like you know on on linkedin of all places like a professional networking platform there you're getting like well, like hey girl posts and stuff it's really would, like I've seen some creepy you know i wouldn't say that comes with the internet because you know there there are these waves of conversations every once in a while where people post a bunch of dm screenshots and stuff and you know, you hear a chorus of like, yeah, I get those all the time. But then you also get guys responding on those threads. Like I've had my DMs open for years and I've never gotten anything like that. Yeah. You also know, true. so not, not necessarily a uh, comes with the territory thing, just a, I, a I think thing what commonly I meant, experienced. What I meant to say was like, comes with being, unfortunately, like being a woman on the internet. Mm. which is um, its own challenge. Um, I, I can say like, yeah, my Twitter DMs have been open for God knows how long uh, LinkedIn and, and all, all that. And I don't get any, you know, trolling messages like that yeah. or, 
or anything creepy like that. So it'll come uh, up anywhere. Like I opt to keep my uh, my DMs closed on Twitter just because I like that if someone wants to contact me, they they have to do so. If they want to contact contact me on Twitter, they have to do so publicly, uh, which adds a certain certain level of filter. Um, right. But like I got a. I didn't even know Meetup had a DM function. I got like a creepy oh, really? DM from a guy that was like, "Yeah, I had no idea Meetup wow. had a, had a messaging Jeez. function." <laughs> um, and so I get this, and I'm like, "Oh, that's weird. It's a Meetup notification." And it's just like it can come from anywhere. Gosh, yeah, it's such like a, and I don't think it's something that we're going to tackle like in this podcast or anything, but um, certainly like maybe a stronger light needs to be shined on it or like we maybe just the process of hiring, you know, a better sampling of the population. Like, you know, there's obviously pretty close numbers of like men and women out there. There should be a close number of like men and women as developers or any other profession. Right. So, um, maybe it would be better, you know, at some point in the future, if we can like overcome some of that, but, uh, it, it just, I don't know. It, it irks me. Uh, seeing some of that stuff because personally, like looking at Twitter, for instance, there's a lot of amazing developers on there that are women that post like a lot of content that I think is helpful. And when I think like, okay, but then on the flip side, their inboxes are filling up with garbage from, you know, people just sending them like, you know, hateful or, you know, disgusting things. It's like, gosh, why are we disincentivizing somebody that's like posting such great stuff? You know what I mean? I do. <laughs> so, yep. It's, I mean, uh, <laughs> and so, um, man, I know we kind of like took a, a big detour from like the junior stuff, but that the whole, um, push for diversity is, it just resonates a lot with me as a, as a developer and as somebody that like wants to see more juniors get into the industry. Yeah. And that's a huge part of why I, Sort of. I did. I didn't used to be so active on Twitter. I originally started my Twitter to post. Like, I started my career in the disability advocacy area, and I would tweet sometimes about like legislation and stuff pertaining to that. But I didn't really get Twitter, so I've I only really got more active on Twitter in the last like year or so. And even doing pushing myself to do conference talks or doing, doing anything that's more visible. Uh, a good amount of that is driven by just wanting to, wanting to be out there, like wanting to be visible to other people because before, before Gatsby, I had only worked with like two or three other female developers. When I was hired on at that agency, there was only one who was hired on after I got there. And then at the startup I worked at before Gatsby, there were for a short time two. And so my model of a developer is primarily male because all of all the devs at the agency were male. All of, um, you know, except for one or two at the startup guys. Um, so part of why I try to put myself out there is that sort of modeling. And by modeling, I mean like, you Roll know, if model, you... Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like if you see a doctor played on TV and it's only ever played by a man, you know, it's hard for 
a young girl to see herself as a doctor, for example, um, or, you know, any, anything else that digs into like the whole media representation bias thing, but right. So is that uh, what, now being more, in, I was sorry, just going to ask if that's what got you into doing talks and stuff like that. That's a huge driving force because I have a huge amount of anxiety <laughs> <laughs> around doing stuff like that. And I found it super, super hard. My first talk was like, I'm amazed I didn't pass out. <laughs> <laughs> like just the anxiety is incredible. Um, and it's better now. I'm more comfortable with it now. But um Definitely that was part of what was pushing me to like overcome that fear and do it anyway and just to be out there. With the anxiety, yeah, awesome. are you just like kind of pushing through it to get through the talk or like uh, now, how do you, how or do you, now or No, before? no, when you first started, like how, what do you do to deal with the anxiety? Uh, I actually tweeted about this today. Someone was asking, you know, what advice would you have wanted to hear before like your first talk or presentation? Uh, and I'm going to pull it up so I don't forget anything. <laughs> but um, I ask because I have the same problem. So. <laughs> Eddie has a lot of anxiety about speaking and yeah. just kind of like being on a podcast, I think gets under his skin a little bit. Um, I'm certainly not an extroverted person either. So uh well, yeah, even now I get like every once in a while I have like that moment of just like, mm, oh my God. But <laughs> specifically when it comes to speaking, uh, the three things that really made a difference for me was that, that talk that I gave that I was like amazed I didn't pass out. Um, I kept working on it and working on it and working on it and working on it and changing things and changing things and refused to practice in front of a person and just like went in a metaphorical hidey hole and just like kept working on it. And then when it came to presenting it, it was just like, it was the first time I had shown it to anybody basically. Mm -hmm. So the three things I try to do are to give myself a date to lock, lock my slides and lock my content. Okay. Uh, and then have someone I respect the heck out of review it. Uh, because for me, a lot of the anxiety comes from like, oh my gosh, if I say something that's technically wrong, A, people are going to think I'm dumb and B, it's going to live on the internet. Yep. Forever. <laughs> right? Yeah. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have someone who I greatly respect, who's a, you know, I consider an area expert, have someone be like, I've looked over it. It all looks great, seal of approval, and I can I can be like, okay, close the book on that. My content is locked. Someone I love and respect has looked at it and thinks it's great. I'm going to put all of that anxiety about being wrong in front of people away. Okay. Because this person that I love and respect has said it's good to go. Now, are you right? doing the talk in front of them or they're just looking through your notes and your slides? Both. So okay. first just sending it, sending it to someone to make sure, you know, I don't have anything wrong or something needs to be clarified or whatever. Okay. Um, and then after that, um, practice giving the talk in front of like actual people. 
Uh, and that could be either there are two things I've done in the past. Uh, one is screen recording it so that someone can just like listen to it on their own time. Kind of like listening to a podcast. They can do it on like a faster speed <laughs> so they can do it whenever they want. We don't have to schedule a calendar. Event. That's a good idea. I like that. Uh, but then also, you know, I've made my boyfriend sit through <laughs> stuff and he's a mechanical engineer by education, civil engineer by trade. He doesn't know anything I'm talking about, but I'm still like <laughs> delivering it in front of a person, you know, so you're practicing it out loud in front of a person. Okay. And I think that's really important because sometimes people will practice like by themselves, like mumbling or like, mm. Right, but yeah. actually saying it in front of a human being, I think is important. So those three things, at least for me, have, have really helped a lot. And it's it's mostly about putting to bed some of those specific anxieties. Do you feel like um, once you get started delivering the talk, whenever you're actually giving it, um, that like once you get rolling, a lot of that anxiety goes away? Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> I have waves of anxiety. So like I'll get in an, in an autopilot, not autopilot, but sort of like get in a groove. And then sure. all of a sudden I'll remember, I'm like, oh my God, there are hundreds of people in front of me. Like, <laughs> oh, oh no. Um, and then you just take a breath and that's where the practice comes in, right? You just make it muscle memory. It's like I played tennis forever, right? I haven't played tennis now in like 10, 15 years or whatever, but that muscle memory is still there somewhere, right? If you practice enough that when I get that, oh my God, there's like hundreds of people in front of me, take a breath and then you have some of the benefit of that muscle memory to carry you through. Cool. Awesome. Um, do you have any, I guess, uh, advice, um, aside from like giving the actual talk, but like coming up with topics or like where to give a talk or how to get into that sort of thing, or maybe even like words of encouragement for people out there that are, you know, trying to raise their own visibility and, and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I would definitely say don't underestimate the value of giving talks at meetups um, because a smaller crowd or well, some meetups are like huge, but generally, I, I would say generally smaller um, great practice, uh, and just keep start writing CFPs, right? Like, uh, conferences so will put is, out calls. What is that? Yeah. I was conferences ask. will put out calls for proposals. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, and people will like propose a talk or submit a talk. And then the conference goes over all the CFP responses and selects, uh, the talks they want to host. Um, just go ahead and start writing proposals, you know, or uh, a lot of people on Twitter, some people every once in a while will tweet like, hey, if you're going to do your first conference talk or you're looking to do your first conference talk, like, I'll be happy to read over your proposal. Uh, look, keep an eye out for opportunities like that. Uh, stuff like that. And there's there's a conference that I can't. I can't call to mind the exact name right now, but there's a conference that specifically highlights first-time conference speakers. That's and we'll cool. like yeah, work cool. with them to craft to craft a talk. Um, but in terms of coming up with 
trying to remember all the aspects of your question in terms of coming with, <laughs> up with a good topic. Um, I think it's kind of like, it's along the same lines of like, oh man, I want to write a blog, but I don't know what to blog about. You know, if you keep a certain awareness of what you're doing on a daily basis, there are ideas everywhere. So like, what have you been focusing on at work for the past week or two weeks or month or whatever, and see if you have an interesting perspective or observation on that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I kind of wonder like, you know, even just, you know, maybe you come up with something like, for instance, I was getting into SEO recently. So like schema.org and JSON LD and all that stuff, all brand new to me. Um, getting into stuff like that, I'm like, man, I wish somebody had an awesome talk about this so I could just watch it and and actually learn this stuff. And, uh, you know, that that stuff isn't like brand new or anything, but um, I would have loved to have gotten that at a meetup. So I would have pre- appreciated if somebody had gone through and like taken that you know, that time and, and delivered that education in a way that was like boiled down and easier to digest for the rest of us. So I think it could even be, you know, maybe stuff like that, you know, it doesn't have to be the latest and greatest, right? Right. And I, f- I forget who said it, it made the rounds on Twitter, like I think a month, month or two ago, but um, also not being afraid to do something just because the topic has been done before. Like someone else may have written a blog post about a topic. That doesn't mean you've written a blog post about a topic. So someone who reads some what someone else writes, maybe that doesn't click for them. But maybe the way that you reasoned about it and the way that it made sense to you and you write it, maybe that makes sense to someone. Uh, I think you can apply the same kind of same kind of mentality to something like a conference or a meetup talk. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Um, So I wanted to circle back a little bit to um, hiring junior developers and kind of like why that's important. Not really. I mean, it obviously like senior developers have to come from somewhere, right? So you're going to have, you're going to run out of senior (laughs) developers. They're going to retire or, you know, move on. And you're, you're only going to have inexperienced people at some point. So it makes sense to, you know, hire them on and train them now. And I think, you know, probably a lot of startups and, Uh, Smaller companies are like, well, we'll let somebody else handle that and we'll just, you know, we'll get whoever Mm -hmm. we can get out of the remaining pool of senior developers. But um, in your your post, you made a a lot of good points about like why it makes sense even for an established team to bring on junior developers or even if you have a small team. And I I just wanted you to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, a couple of those things. Cause not everybody will be swayed by the whole, like it's the right thing to do or it benefits yeah, exactly. us down the line or whatever. <laughs> Cause but everybody's like it, money, 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 money. Right. <laughs> right. Or like budget constraints or like, you know, whatever. Um, people are trying to figure out the best way to, to spend a budget and so forth. But um, yeah, I think there are certain, certain advantages for teams where, you know, a, a diversity of experience. Like, I think junior devs or early career devs are more open to new ideas. Uh, like, more experienced people can co- sort of get set in their ways. 
right? So that mentality of like being eager and interested and um, really excited, I've, I've heard from other people, it can be really energizing for teams. Um, more understandable code makes it into the code base because, you know, if you have someone who's less experienced reading the code, like maybe something that you're writing is like unnecessarily convoluted or it's done in this like spectacularly clever and unnecessary way. Like things that are spectacularly clever aren't going to seem so fun like a year or two later when someone's looking at it, like why did someone do this like this? (laughs) Helps put an emphasis on making things as clean and readable and simple as possible. Um, And then dividing up workload and tasks, right? Like there's a lot of stuff in web development that, you know, would be really repetitive for someone who's more experienced that for someone less experienced, it might be the first time they've ever seen it and they get to nerd out about it and learn a lot and enjoy it uh, where it would be tedious for someone else. Like not everything requires a super senior engineer to architect it, you know? Yeah. And in fact, like the architectural decisions are like a smaller part of the workflow, right? Like most of the stuff that you tackle is not something that requires like, you know, some grandmaster senior engineer, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the kind of project that you're working on, right? Like if you're, you know, working at an agency, building out marketing sites primarily for people, like that's a pretty tested workflow, right? Or I would hope so, or, you know, I don't know. There are probably a lot of tasks that are sort of more implementation level than architecting. Right. That, I mean, if you look at any industry, there's this, or there's, is that sort of spread of tasks that exist that need to get done? Uh, that's that's not special to the tech industry, um, which is why I think a lot a lot of people talk about I, re- I really don't like the term junior dev I say it sometimes because that's a loaded of indist- term right yeah and I think it has sort of like these this slightly demeaning connotation sometimes like it's loaded it has it has some of these like vibes around it um so I I try to say like early career or I think uh thinking about it more as like an apprenticeship it's really awesome because the model of apprenticeship is like, I don't expect you to be a master right now, but I'm also investing in you on your journey toward becoming really proficient. Right. So I kind of like the apprenticeship mindset of that. Yeah. And you know, the, like I said earlier, like a junior developer is, you know, if you're brand new to Gatsby, for instance, and you've been working on WordPress, like you're a junior Gatsby developer, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody has things that is, you know, that are going to be brand new to them. So, you know, somebody that's been working on, let's say Java and Python or something and has been a backend developer, if you sit them down and make them write front end code, like that's going to be a front end junior developer, right? So, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe it's part of the whole uh, typical developer kind of mindset you would think of where we're all like kind of henpecking each other and like, oh, <laughs> I, I've been doing this longer than you and I know best and like, you know, all that sort of thing. But um, really what we should be doing with that energy is like making code that's more human readable and easier for people to jump on board with. Um I think I watched a a video from uh, Doug Crockford and he was talking about like stuff in JavaScript and he's like been doing JavaScript for who knows how long, like long before I even like was working serious jobs. But um, he was talking about the, this keyword in JavaScript and he's like, this is confusing. Like it confuses me. And I was like, holy smokes, this dude's been doing it forever. Like he's been around before they had a, this keyword in JavaScript, you know, and he's saying, oh, it's, it's confusing to him. So he, he doesn't use it. So, um, like that just really resonated with me that, uh, confusion is not only the enemy for junior developers, like you should be writing code. That's not confusing to anybody. You know, it should be readable for, for senior developers and junior developers just the same. Just like that, you know, you write something clever like, oh, let me throw an iffy and a closure and all kinds of stuff at this, where you could have just like wrote a function. Like the same senior developer that comes back to that a year later is is going to be just as confused. And like, why did you write this as, you know, somebody that's brand new to the project, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's It's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about um, because you know, junior developers are, there's just so many of them out there and, uh, there's only so many positions out there, um, for them. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. like hunting down and trying to steal away senior developers from other companies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's obviously a huge opportunity for us to like change our mindset and, and improve our organizations to onboard these, you know, newer developers and kind of like, keep our, our teams growing and, um, getting better at, at just their own workflow and, and, and all that sort of thing. So, um, I I was really, really excited to read, uh, those points that you had that, that translated to business sense, you know, like you're, you're actually reducing technical debt if you write better code, right? Because a lot of people think like, oh, I'm going to hire a junior on and they're going to write garbage code. And then my senior developer is going to have to come back and like rework it. Well, mm-hmm. not if you're doing code reviews, right? Not if your senior developer is putting eyeballs on that code and working with that junior developer. And then the yeah. junior developer is giving feedback to that senior developer about how to make things or how to explain things better. And so the senior developer gets like a tremendous mentorship opportunity. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, absolutely. I think um I think you really hit the nail on the head there. And uh, I really am excited to see like something like uh, Gatsby, a big organization, like get behind that full steam. So really, really awesome um, to hear that that uh, they're making big waves in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think that's probably all I have for like technical questions <laughs> and we usually close out the show with a, a segment that we've affectionately termed nerd minute. So um, we talk about comic books or, you know, movies, video games, all that kind of stuff. Uh, is there anything that you've been into lately? 
Oh, man. I mean, I primarily spend a lot of time on Twitter and things, <laughs> just reading, linking out to tech articles. Uh, I was bemoaning, uh, like I used to, I used to do a lot more uh, reading <laughs> before the boot camp, and ever since the boot camp, I just read technical articles all the time. But the only things, nerdy things, outside of working on the web all day, every day, <laughs> I guess. Um, I'm me and my boyfriend are currently rewatching Yu Yu Hakusho. For, oh my gosh. Tell me more. <laughs> for all the nostalgia. Just amazing. All the nostalgia. Um, we're, we're both just very, very nostalgic about it. And it's on Hulu. What is this now? For some reason. Oh my gosh, Eddie, you've never heard of Yu Yu Hakusho? No. So uh, it's a, an anime okay. um, about um, a rough and tough uh, Japanese <laughs> high schooler, and um, I guess you would call him like a. Is he is he kind of like a Yankee? I guess would be like the the slang term, but like your typical like anime trope, high school tough guy kind okay. of character. Yeah, and he. <laughs> He ends up becoming a, what do they call him? Like a spirit detective or something? Spirit detective. Yes. He, he gets pulled into like this spiritual underworld from a, uh, I don't know if it's like a Shinigami or, or something uh, or a witch or, or some such, but uh, goes through like a whole bunch of adventures in the, uh, the spiritual world. And uh, it's a, a shonen anime. So a lot of like awesome fight scenes and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. It's just a, it's a fun trip down memory lane, I guess. Oh, is it old? Came out in like the nineties, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's aging. <laughs> what uh, what was the the character's name with the the red hair? Kuwabara. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I think I watched it on Cartoon Network a long time ago. With um, I think it was on dubs. Toonami. Yeah, it was on Toonami with the uh, with the dubs, and uh, Kuwabara's voice actor was amazing. <laughs> amazing so so bad it's good (laughs) so so bad so good i don't have to watch this uh it's a it's a real trip um it's it's not as i guess obviously it's still a shonen anime so there's a lot of that like typical (laughs) fight scene kind of stuff but uh for its time like i think was really well done is this something I could watch my Yeah, kid? you know, there there are some there are some things that I've like gone back to, like, oh, I haven't watched that in fifteen years. Let me try that. And I get like one minute into it and I'm like, can't do it. <laughs> can't do it. But this is still fun. I don't know. I think I only got um as far as the tournament arc in Yu Yu Hakusho. We are still in the tournament arc. Okay. I don't remember what happens after that, so I don't We're know. He see. fights that guy with the glasses. That's as that's as far as I remember. <laughs> yeah, that's as far as I remember too. That might be when they stopped airing it on Toonami. I don't know. Probably, but does it hold up? <laughs> it's still fun. Okay. You know, like it's uh, I, the word the word is escaping me, but it's you know it's it's earnest. It's cute. You know, yeah. It's probably the nerdiest thing I'm doing right now. Are you watching a uh, subbed or dubbed? Uh, whatever's the one with the English 
voice acting. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, dubbed. Is that yeah, dubbed? dubbed? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I had like a very short middle school anime phase. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't remember all of, all of the like lingo and such. Okay. Uh, no shame there. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, are there any other, um, notable mentions as far as like anime that you're a big fan of? Fruits basket was cute. Okay. I uh, I remember it, but I don't think I ever watched it. It was about like this family of people who like when they're hugged by someone, they turn into they all represent different zodiac animals. Okay. That's an interesting uh interesting plot point. I don't know, also very cute. But again, this is like God, when was middle school? So this is like quite a while ago. <laughs> I yeah, know. I won't uh I won't date myself by uh, owning up to anything. <laughs> <laughs> Way back when, when Toonami was on TV, right? Toonami isn't on TV anymore? Oh my gosh. No, they got rid of it like uh, years ago. Wasn't Why it back on, but like at 2 a.m. or something like that? Uh, they had Adult Swim and they had Toonami at like the tail end of that for okay. a little while. So but then they just uh, kind of cut it out yeah. entirely. Yeah, nowadays Cartoon Network is just like Teen Titans Go for... 24 hours a day or something. Pretty so. much. Sad yeah. development. <laughs> much like the to... Teen Titans, though. That was uh, what inspired my first AIM screen name. So Teen Titans Go is uh, another show that came after Teen Titans. It's, I'm just going to stop it, talking because I'm so not know, up to date on this. <laughs> I have a daughter yeah. that watches it's a lot of It's basically SpongeBob and, uh, with the Teen Titans characters. Yeah, oh, they, no. they killed it. <laughs> Oh no! Yeah. Yeah, I don't like bad. it either. <laughs> My kid loves it, but I don't. I'm not a fan. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. see any movies lately? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just did my annual rewatch of My Sassy Girl. What is that? Which is the cutest, most awesome Korean rom com ever. Okay. Okay. Uh, I also just watched Back to the Future for the first time. Back Whoa, to the Future and Back time? to the Future too. Yeah, so there the are a hand- there are a handful of movies that I've like gone my entire life without seeing. Uh, in college, I had never seen. I had never not only never seen Fight Club, but oh. the twist wasn't ruined for me. Oh, that's that's pretty awesome then. So wow. I watched I watched Fight Club with a, a group of people who had all seen Fight Club. Did and I always knew uh, I knew something was coming because okay. like us watching the movie was really more about them watching me and <laughs> them watching me watch the movie. So whenever they would turn to me, I would be like, something's coming. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I had managed to not watch Fight Club. I had managed to not watch Back to the Future, a handful of other things. So watch, have, watch those the other day. Have you seen Indiana Jones? No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Have you seen Star Wars? <laughs> I think they're all on Netflix now. You can probably watch. I've not it. seen The Godfather. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, yeah, there are quite a few things that I just never never got around to. <laughs> let, let me throw out a recommendation for Indiana Jones because it's it's pretty good. Uh, not Noted. the fourth one, Noted. but the, the first thing. Oh, no, don't watch Crystal Skull. There yeah, are four? Yeah, so ignore the fourth one um, with mm-hmm. Shia LaBeouf, but... Uh, 
the first three with young Harrison. Are Ford. you making this up? I'm not making this up. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was. But, I fifty two percent believe you. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> no, uh, Indiana Jones is a, a classic, so you can't go wrong with that one. Um, Noted. I'll say for recent movies, uh, have either of you seen Detective Pikachu? No, no. I know you've been wanting to talk about. Yeah, this. but it's it was really good. I'll just throw that out there. I liked it. Yeah, I do want to see it though. That kind of animation kind of creeps me out. They did it well. Um, there was only a couple of them that was like, ooh, like uh, they Mr. had a lick of tongue in there, and Mister Mime was uh... funny. Uh, the lick of tongue was kind of gross. Um, they didn't really have any of the the Pokemon that didn't translate well to that kind of animation. So okay. uh, it wasn't, they, they definitely like made some, some smart choices about who they were going to translate to that medium. But uh, <laughs> otherwise like um, what's his name? Ryan, uh, help me out, Eddie. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, he did a really good job. Obviously it was still Ryan Reynolds. Uh, so very sarcastic, um, kind of, uh, he's like the Will Smith of, of our generation, but, uh, he, <laughs> he did a really good job. You know, Will Smith's like the same person in every movie. It's like Will Smith as men in black. Will Smith as, uh, um, it's like the fresh prince in every movie yeah. and no, same thing with Ryan Reynolds, yeah, but you're not wrong. otherwise he, uh, he did a really good job. So can't really knock that i know some people had some reservations about it that actually reminds me with the keanu reeves revival going on right now we rewatched the matrix oh okay holds up still yeah i think the the first movie's still great the second one was like the animation one right no Uh, there was a uh there was one in between the first and second one that was the animatrix which was like a bunch of shorts yeah, yeah that's cool okay so i only ever saw that and the the, the first there was a second matrix There's you should probably not even movies. bother with them to be honest with you <laughs> the fight scenes are cool um, they're all right well without the animation stuff but i mean yeah. the, the cg and it's kind of bad now uh, yeah they don't well, really hold up the original matrix number one Held up. That was still that was still really good. We watched that a week or two ago or something. Yeah, I love the analogy with uh, Alice in Wonderland that kind of runs throughout that. Yeah. Blue pill, red That's pill. Good movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Super good. Cool. So, um, I think that's uh, all the the nerdy things that I can I can kind of come up with. Well, what nerdy things are y'all into? So anime, comic books, video games, that sort of thing. Uh, we've talked about the Avengers. We've talked about, um, gosh, we talked about anime last week, didn't we? Talked about. I, like- I like to add something. Um, I started watching <laughs> Jessica Jones. Okay. The uh, what the, the most recent the third season? season? Yeah, it came out over the weekend. Um, pretty good. Seen you like, like it? Eight of them so far. Yeah, it's a little better than the second season. Okay. Wait, you watched the, the second season, season and then the first season? No, no, no um, the third. they're in the third season now. It was oh just my released. god! And it's the last season because Netflix canceled all the Marvel stuff. So yeah, I was surprised that they renewed it. I think this was just about to be released or something in the middle of all of that. So or they were filming in the middle of all of that. So awesome. Yeah. 
I did but see the, the recent Avengers movie. I really, really love superhero movies, which is hilarious yeah. because like I don't know anything about like the lore and the whole like universe and everything. I never read the comic books, never you know, I don't know all about all of that, but I just love watching the movies. What'd you think? That was a yeah, lot of did fun. You like the last I one? loved it. Oh. Yeah. I thought awesome it was great. Cry. Did you cry? Did... No. No. We did. I... I did, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um, I think we're running a little bit long, so uh, I'll just say um, thank you so so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Where can uh, where can we find you on the internet? Um, it's at uh, Amberly on Twitter. At Amberly on Twitter, but the L is a is a one because I'm super late. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's A M B E R one E Y. <laughs> okay. And uh you got um, a, any website or anything or I do, but Twitter's the best place to find me. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> um anything else you want to plug before we jump off here? Uh not that's launched yet. Okay. Uh, me and a friend have a podcast project in the works, so keep eyes out cool will do will do well thank you so much for joining us again and uh thanks for all the great work that you're doing at gatsby and um we will we will see you around on the internet yeah super nice to meet y'all thank you guys for having me thank you all right thank you bye thanks for listening to tech junior if you want to support the show Leave us a review on iTunes and like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks to Amberly for coming on the show. Uh, if you want to support Amberly, she has a new show called Full Stack Health. So you can follow them at Full Stack Health on Twitter or go to their website at fullstack.health. It's a show about mental and physical well being and health as a developer. If you want to follow us, you can check. Uh, Tech Junior out on Twitter at Tech Junior Podcast. You can follow me at Lee Ward Jr. and Eddie at ED0TER0. And as always, you can check out all of our past episodes and show notes at techjr.dev. All right, I'll leave you guys to it. Have a good one. <laughs>